think this just kind of sets up what I feel like the Lord wants to say to us tonight. And I won't take long sharing this because I want to create space and room for us just to continue to press in and experience what God has for us. But this this phrase continued to just ring over and over and over in my heart over really the last couple of weeks. And it's simply return to God, return to God, return to God. Return to God. I feel like there are things that are taking place in our country today and things that are taking place here in our lives that are challenging us and calling us to return to God. When you start putting the pieces of things together, everything from the Jesus Revolution movie to revivals that are breaking out across campuses to uh, a He Gets Us campaign that gets national attention in the Super Bowl. And you have all these little things that start happening. You just think, God, are you, are you trying to get a message across? I mean, because it's one thing to, you know, have a, a local church campaign. It's one thing to, uh, you know, experience uh, a, a regional or a citywide move or even a personal move. But then when you start sensing that God is, he's doing things on several different fronts, trying to get the attention of people. And what I feel like he is saying is he's saying, hey, return to me. Return to me. I want the, I want the attention back on me. It's not that God is a well, God is a jealous God, but it's not that he's narcissistic and that he has to have attention. It's he's holy and he deserves our attention. He, he deserves our focus and he's calling us on us to return to him. When I start thinking about the things and started looking at the things that are taking place across the landscape of our country and in our lives right now, I was reminded back uh, of something I learned years ago of that when the plagues hit Egypt, when God was trying to deliver God's people out of bondage in Egypt and called on Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go, well, it didn't go quite as simple and as easy as uh, Moses had hoped or prayed. And you remember the story of the 10 plagues that came upon, but every one of those plagues were an attack upon one of the gods of Egypt. I wrote them down just so that, that I could read them through real quick, but there was, and I, there's no way I can pronounce these words correctly, but Hopi, an Egyptian, uh, Egyptian god of the Nile, which uh, the picture of him was a water bearer, and the first plague was turning the water into blood. This, the next was Heket, the Egyptian god of fertility, and this Egyptian goddess had the head of a frog, and we know the second plague was frogs coming out of the Nile. Geb, the Egyptian god of the earth, uh, was the god over the dust of the earth. And the third plague was lice coming from the dust of the earth. Uh, Kepri, the Egyptian god of creation. Uh, this Egyptian god had the head of a fly. And we know the fourth plague were swarms of flies. Uh, Hathor, the Egyptian goddess of love. This Usually, this Egyptian goddess was depicted with the head of a cow. And the fifth Egyptian plague was the death of the cattle and the livestock. Isis, the Egyptian goddess of medicine. The sixth plague was ashes turning boils and sores on the people. Then, then the next Egyptian goddess of the sky, Nut, the Egyptian goddess of the sky. Well, the seventh plague was hell raining down in the form of fire from the sky. Seth, the Egyptian god of storms and disorder. 
Then we had the eighth plague, locusts sent from the sky, Ra, the sun god. And the ninth plague, three days of complete darkness. And then Pharaoh, the ultimate power in Egypt. And the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. Every one of those plagues came against a specific God that Egyptians had set up to begin to worship. As I started thinking about this, I thought, what is God trying to say and what is he trying to do to us? Because there's nothing that happens outside of God's control. If he sees the very sparrow that falls, he knows what's going on in our world today. The Bible makes it clear that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. We recognize that. But when we experience tragedies, whether it's in the government, whether it's natural disasters, whether it's in our family, whether it's international or whether it's national, sometimes we start thinking that things are out of control. And they are out of our control, but they're not out of God's control because God is still in control. And sometimes when things start happening, we start wondering, why has God allowed all this to happen? And I'm sure there were people in Egypt that were wondering, why is God allowing all this to happen? Because God was behind the plagues that came upon Egypt. And the plagues showed the the futility, the foolishness, the insufficiency of worshiping something that is worthless. Because God can send a plague to destroy it all. And that got me thinking... What is God doing right now? What is he trying to say to us with everything that's going on across our land, everything that's happening in America lately? Now, we don't worship frogs, and we don't worship the Nile River, and we don't worship abundant crops, but what do we worship? We worship money. We worship sports. We worship the economy. We worship good health care. We worship entertainment. We worship a lot of different things. There are a lot of things that are idols to us that we have put up in place of everything else in our lives. And we know that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We know that he does things that we don't always understand. We recognize that. But when you start thinking about everything that's happened over the last few years, from a virus to the horrible response of our government and our nation, to social unrest, to riots and bitter political divisions and and, and, uh, all the types of discord and dissension and division that's across our country. And we start realizing that there are things that we don't have today, or there are things that we missed or lost during the last few years that we might have possibly taken for granted. That how easily things can just be taken away. How easily we just surrender and lay down and give up control to somebody else. Well, why would God be interested in pulling the proverbial rug out from underneath us? Why why would he be doing that? Because we saw things just kind of go away. We saw economy just kind of collapse. We saw entertainment shut down. We saw sports just kind of shut down. We saw uh, things happen in our government that we'd never seen before. Just everything was turned upside down. And it still continues in many different ways across our country. But you need to understand this. God never takes anything away. God never allows anything to be taken away that he doesn't have something better to replace it with. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by coincidence. And I believe that the message of all these things over the last few years and even what God is trying to do to shake us and get our attention right now is simply 
Return to God. Return to me. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you'll just take a moment and follow along with me here. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse number 2, it says this, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Do we have these scriptures? Do we not have those? The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. 20 years was a long time. 20 years, that word is kind of a perfect, uh, that, that 20 is a perfect waiting period. It took Jacob 20 years to, to be able to get his, his wife and his possessions from Laban. 20 years, the children of Israel waited to be freed from the king of Canaan, Jabin. 20 years. This ark is now, it's been 20 years at Kiriath-Jerim. You remember it had been stolen in battle and it was taken by the Philistines. The Philistines didn't know what to do with it because man, all havoc was breaking loose because of this ark of the covenant, the presence of God that was in. They finally got rid of it. 20 years, it stays in, in a quiet silence in Kiriath-Jerim. And then here it says, in verse two, it says, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Now, it's amazing to me that the children of Israel, people who saw the hand of God deliver them and they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. This whole story is a continual repeat of turning to God, rebelling against God, turning to God, rebelling against God, turning to God and rebelling against God. And we read this and we think, why would you people do this? And I'm sure if somebody looks back on our lives, they would say, why did we do the same? Why did we do the same? Why were we cold and then hot? Why, we, why did we allow seasons of lukewarmness? Why were we passionate and then uncaring? Why were we sympathetic and then no heart? Why were we generous and then we were stingy? Why, why? So the people of Israel, they turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Some of you are in some tough situations right now. You're in some difficult situations. And I'm telling you, the message is still the same. Return to the Lord with all of your heart and he will deliver you. Return to the Lord with all of your heart and you'll see your circumstances change. Return to the Lord with all of your heart and you'll see him turn things around. So the Israelites put away their bells and asterisks and serve the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I'll intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and there they confessed. We've sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. Know this, when you start returning to the Lord, there will be attacks. When you start turning back to God, there will be difficulties, there will be challenges, the enemy will come at you. It says, when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. I'm gonna tell you, don't be afraid. They said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord, our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole 
burnt offering. I'll come back to that in a minute. A whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on, on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. And while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But the day, but that day, and notice what happens here. There's a sacrifice being made. They're returning to God. They put away their other idols. It says, when Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Somebody's going to fight on your behalf. God's going to fight on your behalf. He's going to turn it around as you return to God. It says, the men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below beth and then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. You want the Lord's help? Return to the Lord. You want the Lord to fight your battles? Return to the Lord. You want the Lord to have your back? Then return to the Lord. There's three simple steps that I see right here in this passage, three steps to return to God. And I just want to throw them out there. I want to challenge you to do the same, to return to God. And the first step is repentance. Israel repented. And that's, that's what turning, or that repentance simply means to turn. It's a 180 direction. You just turn and head the other direction. And that's what Israel did. They turned with their whole hearts back to the Lord. It says in verse two and four, through four, it says the ark remained at Kiriath Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, if this is what you're doing, then get rid of all the other stuff. Get rid of the things in your life that don't matter. Get rid of the things in your life that are coming between you and God. Get rid of the foreign gods, the asterisk. Commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you. Serve him only. You know, God oftentimes tries to get our attention. One way he gets our attention is through repetition. When you start hearing the same message over and over and over again, like what I'm saying, you hear God calling us over here. You hear him calling over there. You start hearing the same messages, whether it's from people, whether it's from sermons, whether it's uh, on the radio, or whether it's on television or whether it's on podcasts or, or whether it's from a friend. You just start hearing the same message, repetition, repetition, repetition. And we keep hearing God saying things. And I'm here, return to God, return to me. God wants his focus, the focus back on him. But the other thing is through friends. When you start hearing friends say the same thing, you say, well, that's kind of what somebody else just told me. And you start realizing your friends are saying the same thing to you. God's trying to get your attention. But you know, there's another sad way that God gets our attention. And that's when you start recognizing a stubborn and a hardened heart. When we read the story of Moses trying to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. And it says, Pharaoh's heart became hardened. The more those plagues came on, Pharaoh's heart became hardened. And sometimes when God's trying to get our attention, we are stubborn, we're rebellious, and we dig our heels in and, and, and we, to our own demise, to our own destruction, we just get hardened and rebellious. And oftentimes we won't let up, we won't relent, we won't give in until we have finally hit rock bottom and we have no other place to turn. And I'm saying, hey, before we hit rock bottom, before you go that far, before you've lost it all, before you throw it all the way, return to God. 
Let's return to him right now. The second step is this, it's sacrifice. The second step is sacrifice. And here's what the Bible says in verse nine there. It says, Samuel took a suckling lamb, sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. Now we don't, we don't hear a lot about sacrifice because we don't like sacrifice. But here they made a sacrifice. And I think one of the reasons we probably have a harder time experiencing revival, a harder time we, we have a harder time experiencing miraculous things is because we're not willing to make the sacrifice necessary. Here a sacrifice was made, a whole burnt offering. I mean, they gave everything. They sacrificed everything. Sacrifice prepares your heart to hear God and allow him to touch your life. A lot of people have given up different things during this season, this season of Lent, heading into Easter season. I think God is hearing that. God is responding to that. Some people made great sacrifices for the sake of kingdom builders, to spread the gospel around the world. And you made a commitment. Many people made commitments. Say, hey, I'll put off buying a new car and I'll put that money towards missions. Some said I was saving this money for something else. And you know what? I'll give it to missions. Some of you had other plans with your money, but you made a sacrifice. And I'm telling you, God is hearing the, the, seeing the sacrifice and he's hearing your heart and he's responding. The Israelites had to give up false gods. Lay down the asterisk. Lay down all of the false gods. What is standing in the way of you and God? What's more important to you right now than God? You got to be willing to sacrifice it. You got to be willing to give it up. Lay it down. Throw it away. And here's the third step. I'm going to wrap up with this. The third step is action. Action. You got to be willing to do something. You just got to be willing to do something. You got to be willing to step out. Look, look at verse 10 and 11. It says, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Now, the Lord threw them into a panic. It would have been real easy for the Israelites just to stay in their camp and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving our neck. Thank you for fighting our battle. But look what it happened. It says the men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them all the way to the point below Bethkar. There was action. They got out and they did something. So what am I telling you to get out, get your weapons and get your swords and your machetes and get out there and start killing people? No. What I'm saying is, what, 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 what action? What, what action? Well, you know what? If a revival were to really sweep across our lives and our land, what would that look like? If you've ever been a part of it, you know what it looks like. There's a hunger and there's a passion for the presence of God. There's a lingering and there's a longing and there's a waiting in the presence of God. There is something that changes in the atmosphere. There's something changes in our lives. Our conversation, you know what our conversation is about? The things of God, the presence of God. There's a hunger to be in the word of God. There's a hunger to worship him just a little longer. There's a desire to get there early so we don't miss a thing. There's a desire to tell somebody else about what God is doing. So what am I saying? What's the action? Start doing those things. Why do you have to wait on some supernatural power to come and kick you in the butt to get out and tell somebody about Jesus? What do we have to have some, some supernatural wind of the Spirit to get us to lift our hands and worship the Lord? You lift your hands and worship the Lord. What, what, what do I have to have something to come and move me to get to church on time? You get to church on time. 
Well, I have to have some, some spiritual moment, some electricity from heaven to get me to, to really engage in worship. Why? You do that. There's got to be some action on our part. And when we do the action, I promise you, the battle will be won. God will have our back. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. Put some action to your desire. You want God to visit you, your family, your life, your heart, your church, your city in a tangible way, in a recognizable way, in a demonstrable way, then let's start doing something about it. Let's put some action to our heart. Let's return to God with repentance. Let's return to God with sacrifice. What are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to give up? Let's give it to him today.